You're listening to the Skift Podcast. On today's episode, Skift founder and CEO Rafat Ali talks with David Batten of the New World Same Humans newsletter about generative AI, what it is, how it's being developed and used, and the huge, huge implications for the travel industry, search, and the world at large. For more like this and the latest news in travel and travel tech, visit skift.com. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, David. Uh, David Madden, who I've known for many years. I uh, used to know him when he was running Trends and Insight for Trend Watching, which was a trend watching consultancy that uh, it is a trend watching consultancy called Trend Watching that um, that we used to be good friends with. I've known the company for a while, and since then he has started. He since left and started couple of new news, uh, one new newsletter, uh, which um, David, if you want to talk about, and in which you've been writing a lot about AI and its effect and, and, a, and a particular sub area of AI that we're going to talk about today, what it means for the travel industry and what it means for content creation of which, which, which is a huge part of the travel industry as well. So talk about what you're doing now. Um, you're sort of the futurist. Um, I don't know if you like to be called that because I know a lot of folks don't like to be called that. Hey, Rafa, thanks for having me on. The newsletter is called New World, Same Humans. Uh, and it's a newsletter about trends, technology and our shared future. And it really is underpinned by this idea that so much of the human story, you know, our history, but also what's ahead of us, our shared future, is fueled by this collision between a changing world, often emerging technologies, and fundamental human needs, this eternal shared nature we have that, that doesn't change. And it's in the collision of those two things, often in the collision of a new technology and a fundamental human need, that our future emerges, that the human story emerges out of that. So New World Same Humans takes up a lot of my time these days, and I love writing it. It's been an incredible journey. Writing this newsletter and building this audience, you know, was born in the pandemic. And exactly as you say, I mean, this year I have been obsessed by, and the newsletter has borderline been taken over by, this incredible story we've seen around generative AI large language models, GPT-3. I mean, we're going to get into it all. You know, we are amid a revolution when it comes to artificial intelligence and its impacts and its use cases. And just documenting that has been such fun and I hope useful um, across the last year or so, because you really see that story playing out, this collision between this amazing new powerful technology and fundamental human needs like creativity and convenience and knowledge and so on. And so generative AI is a subsector of the larger AI. It's called generative because it generates output based on uh, input. Exactly, yeah. So generative AI is a, is a kind of AI. It's a subset of AI and it's AI fueled by, founded in essentially something called transformer models. And Google engineers released a paper, the first paper, kind of the invention moment about transformer models back in 2017. Mm. And a transformer model is essentially a, a, a new kind of neural network that spots patterns in sequential data. 
it attends to the important part the important parts of and spots patterns between elements of sequential data, data where the sequence of the elements is important. For example, the words in a sentence, that's an example of sequential data. So it attends to, it has ways, it uses incredibly complex mathematics essentially to attend to the important elements in that sequence of data and build a model of the relationships between those important elements. And a sen- I mean, it, obviously, it's hugely technical stuff, but it's building a model of the relationships that, uh, that underpin what we humans call meaning. So it can start essentially to simulate, produce a simulation of meaning. And one of the consequences of this is that these transformer models allow the ability of uh, allow us to build large language models that have these incredible linguistic, these incredible languaging abilities that have set the world on fire mm-hmm. recently with tools such as GPT-3. And so um, generative AI, it seems the word only came into certainly my lexicon this year. Um, and lots of investment is going into it. Google um bought a company called DeepMind a while ago. I don't know if it's technically generative AI, but it's in the AI space that apparently, from what I understand, they use in different parts of the business. Um, it also is used a bit in the consumer-facing part on the search engine um, that you see if you on the top of search, if you search for something, they will give you an answer immediately, a version of an or, or short form of an answer. Um, and there's a lot of investment. I mean, it's interesting that venture investments happen in waves and it was web three and crypto last year obviously this year has gone completely bust on that for at least second half of the year has gone completely bust on that part um and it looks like generative ai is getting tons of investment on it so why um why should we care yeah i think there are there are a set of really powerful reasons why we should care. I mean, you're right about DeepMind. So, for example, they used a transformer model to solve the protein folding problem, this iconic problem in the life sciences about mm. the prediction of the structure of proteins. And proteins are large chain complex molecules that are kind of essential to life, that underpin all life. And if you're if you're able to predict how a protein will fold and its end state structure that is hugely powerful and it will unlock massive advances in in the life sciences and in medicine so deepmind did that the protein folding problem is essentially solved now we always believed that ai would be hugely powerful and hugely consequential when it came to solving those kinds of problems, like scientific problems, problems that are about crunching huge amounts of data and information and so on. What we didn't expect, perhaps, and certainly not to the extent that is playing out now, is that AI would intersect with another set of fundamental human needs and impulses around creativity mm-hmm. and um, art and sort of the human needs around 
emotion and meaning because just if you as you said what's particular about generative ai what's particular for example about these large language models is you can give them a prompt and then they will generate they will output language they will output relevant text that, that didn't exist before this isn't about them going to a database and finding units of text and bringing them back to you which this, is how search works right exactly which is how the current model of search works it, it is founded in going to a huge data set and bringing a relevant part of it back to you generative ai is doing something totally different it's generating an entirely novel output but a relevant one based on some input you've given so you can say to gpt3 and we can talk a little bit more about this for example yeah. Yeah. you know write me a short story about um tinder in the style of charles dickens and it will generate something that sounds just like dickens is all about tinder and didn't exist before and this is what has set the world or part of what set the world on fire in 2022 uh, because it feels as though AI now is encroaching on something we felt was uniquely human and, and was never going to be touched by machine intelligence, which is creativity, the ability to create. Uh, that is something fundamentally new. So, and, and then that has huge implications across all kinds of domains and all kinds of industries. This is why we should care. And we can talk a little bit more about the advances yeah. we've seen this year beyond GPT-3, which was launched in 2020 that are going to be put to use inside industry and that are fueling these, you know, investments. So we, you mentioned GPT-3 GPT a few times. Explain what GPT is. It's part of this company called OpenAI, um, which has uh, which is a company that's now very heavily funded as well. So it's a startup that was started by the Y Combinator founder. So not exactly. founder, former CEO. Exactly, yeah. So GPT-3 is essentially a, all about you know, applying a, a transformer model to language, take language as your sequential data and use a transformer model to build models of the of the patterns and underlying relationships that weave language together. Mm -hmm. And so and so essentially what GPT-3 is doing is when you give it a prompt, it's using incredibly complex statistical analysis, essentially, to make a decision on what the most likely next word would be. Because this is a transform model that has been trained on a huge amount of text, like an appreciable segment of all the writing humans have created ever. So you take that huge wow. data set, you train a transformer model on that data set, and then you can step to that transformer model and give it some language, and it will make a set of decisions, a set of considerations about what the most, given its huge data set training, about what the, the most likely next set of words would be. And mm -hmm. so what you get is a machine that's able to output text novel text something entirely new that sounds just as like just like just as though a human would have written it because yeah. it's because it's basing those decisions on its incredible knowledge if you like of what humans tend to say in these circumstances and that in a matter is, of seconds that is a rougher that, that i hope is a broad but useful um summary of what gpt3 is doing and it was released in 2020 
previous iterations, you know, GPT-2 obviously was earlier, but it was GPT-3 in 2020 that really first set the world on fire about large language models and generative AI because it was a, it was a huge, it was a step change in the ability of this tool to generate language that sounded human, that sounded just like a person might have said it. And GPT-3 is, is uh, and I don't know what the right word is, was it owned by OpenAI, technically speaking? Yes, I, I believe so. And, uh, and OpenAI take a lot of funding from Microsoft. Okay. They, you know, and so they, the Microsoft and, money is helping this happen. Is, is, which is very interesting. And, and obviously there are other companies. I saw uh, a company called Hugging Face, which I didn't really, I mean, uh, I, I guess a cute name. Um, was And there are a bunch of other startups in this sector. So let's uh, focus on um, what happened, some of the developments that happened this year, which is, and I again, I won't use the right technical words. This is why you're the expert. Um, you, you ask uh, one of the tools that... Um, OpenAI released was something called Dali, which is you input a text and it would create an original image based on on your in a matter of I guess minutes or something. Uh, text te the the chat is what we're going to come to is in a matter of seconds, but I guess image obviously takes a little more time uh, to create and or a set of images, and then also maybe it was Google who launched this, but they but text to video as well. Yes, yes. So that's what we've seen across the last couple of years. So OpenAI released the first version of DALI, their text-to-image tool, early in 2021. They kind okay. of revised it. So DALI 2 was released April, I think, 2022, April this year. And yeah, so this is about um, training a transformer model on an appreciable section of all the images humans have ever created, okay? And then marrying that to a language model so that you can write then a request or a prompt like, uh, okay, you know, draw me a picture of a puppy in the style of Picasso. Um, and the image transformer model will essentially throw a completely random set of pixels at a canvas. And then it will go back and forth iterating that. It will go to the text prompt and, and ask itself, does this look like what I've been asked for? No, okay, revise. Does this look like it? No, revise, revise. It will iterate back and forth, back and forth like a zillion times until it satisfies itself that the image it's created looks as the prompt would expect it to look. And then it delivers this image to you. Again, a technical, somewhat technical explanation for, for what is a magical effect for the end user, where you can where you can just write a simple sentence and see an incredible, you know, beautiful image generated in a matter of, yeah, yeah maybe 30 seconds. Um, and, you know, stable diffusion. We have to mention another texture image model that was released uh, early in 2022. They've just released their second iteration last week, and it's a, it's a step change as well. I mean, the photorealistic image generation capacity ability now is just astounding and then yes as you say you have google um and others working on text to video so google imagine you can write is a tool now where you can write a short prompt and get like a, a short like you know five ten second video clip uh and they're working on 
longer, you know, longer prompts to generate longer video clips. If you, I mean, fast forwarding, you know, if you listen to, for example, Imad Mostak, the founder of Stable Diffusion, he's talking about a world ultimately of text to anything. You know, write a text prompt, tell the tool what you want, and it will generate you a PowerPoint presentation. He's working with the music industry, he says, on text to music. So he wants to train a transformer model on all the world's music. And then you'll be able to type, you know, compose me a sad ballad in the style of 1920s jazz, like whatever. And it, and it will, out it will pop. Just a revolutionary tool for the amplification of human creativity put in the hands of billions of human beings. That is the end game that we're talking about that's got everyone so excited. And um, all of these tools for now are obviously experimental. What you have stressed a few times is this technology is changing so fast that what we thought was possible last year is completely changed this year. And even that has changed multiple times this year. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at, you know, Dali. Dali 2 released this year and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, text, text to image. This is incredible. Look at the quality of these images. Months later, you have Google Imagine, text to video. You know, they're working on text to, to kind of long video, text to movies, essentially. The pace of iteration and change. And then, you know, and you touched on this, we had chat GPT just, just last week kind of a, a new version of GPT-3. So the pace of innovation across this year has just been absolutely astounding. And um, let's, let's chat about chat, GPT, um, <laughs> which was a tool that um, OpenAI released for anyone to use. Um, I think it's uh, chat, chat um, chat.openai.com. Maybe the, uh, I think that's the site. Um, and GPT-3 is their, um, I guess, is the newest engine that they've used. Apparently, GPT-4 is coming as well uh, soon from, from, from what I read, where I think the power of the power of text-to-text -text images and video, I think it was a little clunky for people to understand because there was, I think, more steps, but, but text was so simple. And it was released on last Wednesday. Um, and... Uh, by Monday, the the CEO said they had a million users, but also just it took over all of Twitter. Even like Elon Musk uh, drama that was playing out was sidelined to an extent. And I guess it turns out Elon, Elon Musk is an investor in that company as well. I think, yes, that, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, I think he's, he's an investor in OpenAI as well. Um, and it over it took over Twitter. It also took over LinkedIn, where people are trying to figure out. Obviously, this is LinkedIn, so everybody's trying to figure out what is the business use case and how will it disrupt this and how would it disrupt that. Um, and um, uh, so this it's basically you know we've known chatbots for a while. Um, this is a whole, as you said, a whole different level of chatbot that has, and chatbots were used and I still used. I guess there was a lot of hype a few years ago, but are primarily now used for customer service, I would say, um, for simple queries, and then it goes to human if it becomes more um, more complex. So that's our, like, if you do WhatsApp with an airline, this is what you would probably get. Um, but the chatbot of ChatGPT is a whole different level. 
it's basically you ask them anything, how however short or however detailed, and they would they, and the tool spits out in a matter of seconds, as you said, in a in a confident, coherent way, even if it's not one hundred percent right all the time. So, what's your sense of the tool itself, and what are the pitfalls as you're seeing it so far? Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of things happened last week. So, um, OpenAI released a a new iteration, if you like, of GPT-3 that is even stronger and even more robust than the previous model. So it's text DaVinci 3 uh, is just a more robust model. It's better at generating long form content. It produces a higher quality of language and across long form, it, it it remains more coherent. It kind of remembers what it said better and, and, and remains accurate across long form. So they released that. That was hugely exciting. Everyone got excited. Then days later, they released ChatGPT. And ChatGPT is really, well, I say just, I mean, it's not, it's no small thing, but it, it's GPT-3 optimized for, for dialogue, for chat interaction. So, so you can have more of a conversation with the tool now. And this is all about, you know, the big story since they released GPT-3 in 2020 has been about making it stronger and more robust and making it easier to use. And chat GPT is just a huge advance along that journey of ease of use and an interface and, and, a, and a, a kind of, yeah, an interface that really makes people feel comfortable because you can now have a dialogue with this thing. And just as you say, you know, you can ask a question or put in a request or give an instruction and it will respond. And that request might be, you know, write me, the, uh, write me the code in Python for a very simple website that looks like this and does this. And it will literally spit out that code. Or you could ask it, you know, um, plan me a really fun itinerary around New York, you know, in a couple of weeks that's, you know, for someone who's interested in history and, and, and um, you know, modern art. And it will spit out something very coherent and robust that is brand new, that didn't exist in the world before, to answer that request. We're going to see, I mean, it's so funny. Yeah, you, you very rightly touch on chatbots, and there was a huge load of hype around them a few years ago. And it's so funny when you watch trends as I do, and you see hype grow around an innovation like that, and then kind of die away, and people become very skeptical and say, oh, chatbots are a waste of time. That was all hype. Right. Um, we came to the idea a little early. The technology wasn't really ready yet. But the fundamental idea of some kind of virtual entity that you can talk to very naturally and that understands you and provides relevant responses, that is clearly a powerful idea. That is clearly a valuable idea. Now we are seeing with generative AI, with GPT-3 and so on, the emergence of a technology that can sustain that idea. And yeah, I mean, we can, you know, the implications across industry for customer service, for the way people will expect to have interactions with organizations and with brands, those implications are transformative. I've talked for a long time about a trend that I call virtual companions, the rise of AI-fueled entities conversational entities that become a kind of counsellor and personal assistant and even a kind of friend to the user. You know, this AI you have in your pocket that knows you better than anyone, that is your guide to the world, that knows your most intimate secrets, that knows everything about you. I think that that is potentially the next big life-changing revolutionary technology for billions of people that does 
that changes life the way the phone did. Like we haven't had something right. that changed like the way the phone did since the phone. I think potentially that is the next big thing. And I've been thinking about that for years. And part of why I'm so excited about generative AI is because I think we're, we're verging on the ability to create that kind of virtual companion now. And that is hugely powerful. And every brand, travel industry or not, needs to think about, about that world and how they yeah. live in it. And I guess, uh, speaking of phone, it, it's probably going to be coming to your phone much faster than, like, it's not, uh, you know, like a general online, like the, the companion part will very much be part of the phone. I guess Siri was a very, very crude version of it. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. And when I used to talk about these virtual companions, I'd say, you know, right now we have Siri, you know, we already live in a world of AI fueled conversational assistance, you know, you have Siri, you have Alexa, but it's really kind of like Siri, you know, where's the nearest bank or Alexa, order me right. some washing powder, it's very functional, they're right. not very good at understanding you. But even in that relationship, you can glimpse the beginnings of something new. You know, if skeptical audiences, I would say, or skeptical clients, I would say, look, have you ever asked Siri a question with any emotional content at all? If you have, you're already starting to admit to yourself, there can be a, a deeper relationship with these, with these AI agents, with these virtual entities. Now we're seeing language models that can talk to you and it is impossible to tell that you're not talking to a real person and they can learn all about yeah. you they can learn your preferences they can respond to you in an apparently um, on an apparently emotional level they can simulate all of that incredibly convincingly so yes exactly as you say that is coming to people's phones i think that will become the primary interface via which we relate to our phones this companion will live in your phone. And look, it, you know, really, if you ask me where I think it's heading, I think that will, that in the end will become the point of the phone. The phone itself will just be this uninteresting little vehicle that provides you the relationship with the real entity, which is this AI companion, this person, it feels mm. as though, that lives in your phone that responds to you. That is where I think this is heading. Fascinating, and we can um, sort of mind boggles in terms of implications. Let's talk about um, content creation, of which uh, sort of the you know one of the immediate implications of the tools that are there currently is quote unquote content creation. You can sort of take it for what it is, whether it's for the travel industry, it's, it's and for agencies that work for them. I'm guessing there's a lot of action on the agency side. Um, ad agencies, creative agencies, uh, marketing agencies on trying to figure out how to use this to be more efficient with their content creation, be more efficient with their images and audio and video, whatever else is to come there. So from that perspective, I guess generally for marketing, what do you see as the implications for marketing and I guess travel marketing as a result of it? Yeah, there are huge implications and, and you know, this is, already very much in train. You have marketing agencies, you have platforms now, and you have marketing agencies experimenting with these platforms that are all about the generation of marketing copy and marketing campaign ideas, and now marketing campaign assets, you know, images. Um, 
via generative AI. So if you look at, for example, Jasper, that's one of the, the most, pop, probably the most popular, the best known platform right now that is explicitly about generative AI for marketing campaign copy, or you look at a startup called Copy AI, that's what they're all about. And you have big brands using them already. And you can step to these tools and say, you know, generate me marketing copy for a campaign that's all about travel to Israel in the summer for people that are interested in history and modern art. Again, I'll, I'll choose the same traveler. And it will it will generate compelling marketing copy um, in seconds, novel copy that didn't exist before. Now, look, everyone's going to have that technology. That technology will be commoditized. Right. It doesn't have to mean the end. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't have to mean the end of human creativity, but it means human creativity and the creativity of the marketer massively amplified by this, by this creative companion that's always there, that never gets tired, that spits out this relentless stream of new ideas and this relentless stream of copy at your instruction. And it turns the creative, in this case, perhaps, you know, the marketing creative into a kind of conductor of an orchestra, someone who is conducting uh, and has oversight, a kind of creative director who has oversight of this suite now of creativity that they can kind of shuffle about and play with at will. Um, mm. That's where I think creativity is going and marketing creativity is going. Yeah. And so for the travel industry, you know, you, you'll have the ability to generate in seconds Twitter campaigns, you know, marketing campaigns, television ads. You'll be able to generate those in seconds. It will be about the people who can whisper to these models most effectively, who can prompt these models most effectively, and then iterate the outputs most effectively to come to the best outcome. Because that is a huge skill in itself. Right. And actually, if you look online, we're already seeing the growth of um, prompt marketplaces. So people are selling their, their AI prompts to others. Like, oh, I've devised a prompt to GPT-3 or to DALI-2 or to Stable Diffusion that produces great results. And if you give me $50, wow. I'll give you the prompt. So, so prompt engineering, as it's being called, is going to be a creative skill all of its own. Fascinating. Yeah, I had, I had not even thought of that part. Um, and um, as ChatGPT was released, I did a post um, earlier this week. Um, after playing with it over the weekend on what are the implications for the travel industry. And I was, instead of me guessing it, I just asked the, the, the tool itself and it came back with some coherent answers. And some of them were, um, repetitive, um, which, uh, because I was asking what is it for hotel and airline. And so it was, so one of the things that it said consistently was itinerary generation, which I think you mentioned as an example as well, which is a huge part of the travel industry. This is what tour operators and travel agencies live off. And, um, and I'm guessing there's going to, there's already experimentation happening with at least the forward looking travel agencies or people, individual people within these agencies on saying, oh, how, how good can they be? Because a lot of, you know, if you go to any of their sites, that's half of their site and that's how they sell these tours and um, to people. 
And then the other part that I was fascinated by, and this is what you said about design in general, creativity in general, something about hotels I asked, and it said about hotel design of how you can come up with new room concepts um, using and um, aircraft design. You could come up with airport um, design as well, which was just fascinating to me that, um, and I'm guessing some version of these already happening in specialist areas uh, using different tools. But uh, it just seems fascinating to me that this would become just a mass used tool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, I mean, in, in my head, I, because it's, it's so mind spinning, you know, when I think through the implications for the travel industry, I think about the implications for the industry operationally and how it works. And there you have huge capacity, as you said, for the generation of itineraries and the generation of flight schedules and timetables and all kinds of automated information flows, you know, and you have exactly, as you say, the ability to do generative design now, you know, generate me a hotel that will appeal to XYZ people that is placed in, you know, XYZ city, and you'll be able to generate that design and iterate it and change it and generate other versions and that will revolutionize design across industries, including the travel industry. Right. And then you have ways to serve the customer. And of course, itineraries and schedules are really powerful there. But then you also come to some of the virtual companion thinking that we were talking about before, where, you know, imagine the evolution of this incredible traveling companion that is a, is a mixture of kind of personal assistant, historical tour guide, counselor, someone who knows you better than anyone who knows what you're interested in who knows what you'll love and is just always there for you and takes you on this tour through whatever city or whatever village or whatever country you're in that is the kind of implication that travel brands can think through in the coming year because that that world is coming to us <coughs> yeah and so um and uh, there are probably hundred uses that we can't even think of today that will will, yeah, will sure. completely come up and and probably startups that specialize in the travel sector, particularly on the B two B side, uh, to help some of these larger companies, uh, as you said, operationally become a lot more efficient or cheaper. Uh, whether I'm just making it up, but like operate an airport better or operate hotels better in general. Um, the um, the one question I I um, uh, uh, I had in terms of the we've we've talked sort of positive everything the possibilities. Um, what are the uh, from your perspective? What are the um? I mean, every tool whether you you see Twitter, social media is so divisive these days. There's, you know, people talk about net net has it been better for the world or 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 worse for the world, um. Even even somebody as as tech forward as Elon Musk has talked about the pitfalls of AI um, publicly, and he's scared about it. Um, in terms of generative AI, the world that we're talking about today, what are your sense of what the pitfalls could be? Disinformation obviously becomes so much more because you could you could create so much more. Yeah, I mean that that's 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 one big one. I mean. We're talking about a tool, as I said, that hugely amplifies human creativity that allow will allow us to output 
much more content, you know, hugely greater scale and much faster than we could before. And, you know, very simply, that means the, pe the bad people out there who want to generate bad, toxic content will be empowered by these tools too. And there are, there are things we can do. And, you know, OpenAI and others and Stable Diffusion are putting guardrails around these tools that, that prevent the creation of obviously toxic content. Um, but, you know, those guardrails are imperfect. So there's bad actors and the bad things they want to do. And that's, that's a clear, obvious problem. A more subtle, nuanced problem, though one that rightly still, you know, gets talked about a lot, is look, you know, these tools are trained, as I said, on huge data sets, huge amounts of text or huge data sets of images. And that means they import the biases that right. we humans historically have <laughs> instantiated in that data. Sadly, we humans are biased, prejudiced creatures, and historically we always have been. So those biases are present across our culture and in subtle ways that we perhaps don't, might not even always notice generative AI will reproduce those biases. So, you know, there's the danger that we kind of get locked in a bubble of our own prejudices and biases and, 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 and subtle points of view in ways that are not productive and not healthy and not fair, not just or equitable. That is a clear, and this is being talked about a whole lot. You know, I mean, right. I, I can't remember which tool it was. Perhaps it's ChatGPT. I have to be careful about that. You know, someone wrote a, something along the lines of a prompt of, you know, write me some code that tells me who is a good, who, what kind of person makes a good coder and, and the AI spat out, well, if they are white, if they are male, then answer is yes. There's a clear mm. example of it reproducing, you know, a bias. Bias, right. Uh, I, yeah, I am always keen to point out because... I think we can become confused about this problem. You know, some people talk about this problem as though these tools are imposing biases and prejudices on us. For sure, they are. They will provide, they, they may amplify them or they will provide new expressions of them. But we mustn't forget that they're only reflecting back to us. The, right. you know the prejudices that we have expressed historically in the past they're really a mirror in that way of ourselves so we shouldn't let ourselves off the hook it, it's not these machines that are inventing these prejudices and biases we invented them right um, but that is nevertheless a, a, a problem that we need to we need to address uh, and it's not going to be easy it's not going to be simple but that that's a problem that you and i and everyone everyone else pretty much is extremely familiar with i mean we've had 30 years of this online space and we're still trying to catch up to that's we're still trying to regulate you know social media <laughs> like right right let alone um, this it's very difficult um this is fascinating let me ask you one quick last question so um there's been uh talk back and forth and people have already debunked it in the last few days about how this hurts google uh, from a search perspective, at least this chat GPT tool, not the, not the, um, not the other tools that we talked about, but the chat GPT and, and, um, uh, what's your sense of what this does to how people search? Yeah, it's a really interesting question and it's a complex question. And I think it clearly has huge implications for search. 
I don't think they're as simple as some of the first thoughts we saw this week of like, oh, chat GPT, you know, destroys Google. This is the new Google. No, because if you sit and think through what a person is trying to achieve when they search, there's a range of different things. And very often when, when a person searches, what they are looking for is a fixed, defined object output created by another person. They are looking, for example, for an article that X wrote, you know, their favorite journalist wrote seven years ago about the new BMW X3 or whatever, right? They're looking for that. They, they don't want some novel output created by a machine that is useful to, they want exactly that. So the Google version of search produces that and Google, yeah, leverages AI, other kinds of AI to be incredibly good at going and finding that one particular thing for you and bringing it back to you. It's incredibly good at that. That's what its business is built on, obviously. Um, other times, though, you are searching for like, OK, I need a patch for this code I've written. I know there must be some solution to this. I just need to find it somewhere. It's not a defined object I'm looking for. It's, it's, a, it's an idea. It's a solution. It's something less tangible. Mm-hmm. Then ChatGPT is a hugely powerful solution because it can generate that solution for you. It can just present you with that solution. And that's the job done. So I think we need to think carefully about the different types of, I guess I'm using the language of jobs to be done, the different type of jobs to be done when people are searching mm-hmm. and, and, and what does what. And there's also work to be done around, okay, if you're using chat GPT as a kind of search, how does it present? You, you then do start to become interested in where this information is drawn from. So how is it going to prevent present yeah. sorry, its sources to you? Even if it's presenting you with what looks like a compelling answer, how does it present you with context that persuades you, yes, this is this is the right, the right answer. answer. I can trust right. this. Okay. So there's all kinds yeah. of questions to be answered, but there's no doubt that it that implications for search are huge and Google know that, <laughs> yeah, you know, they'll yeah. be looking at this. They're not just looking at it closely. They've built Lambda. They've built their own large language model. They're all over this. They cannot ignore this. Yeah, for all I, for all we know, even though that Google has already talked to OpenAI about acquiring them, for but then regulatory issues probably prevent uh, this kind of deal from happening. And I'm guessing the founders of AI know they have something big on their hands, so why should they sell? Um but it's um, all of it is hugely fascinating. Well, thank you, David. This has been um, it's so early that it probably makes sense to, for you to, for us to get you back again when uh, things are more concrete, or at least uh, not more concrete. More we we have more uh, examples of use cases by next year, probably sometime as well, just because so many things are changing as well. I would love that. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And the, the, the space is evolving so fast that if we wait six months, there'll be a whole new set of innovations and ideas and problems to discuss. Um, well, uh, for those of you who don't uh, read your newsletter, can you plug your newsletter and the site again, please? I certainly can. Thank you. It's called New World Same Humans, and you can find it at newworldsamehumans.com and see what other readers say about it there, too. Okay. All right. I'm going to put a link in the, in the text accompanying this podcast as well. All right. This has been the Skift Podcast. 
Thank you for listening.